0: Hello and welcome to the Life Church Audio Podcast. We hope that you find these messages encouraging, life-giving, and ultimately get you closer to Jesus. Enjoy the message. Good morning. Glad you guys are here. Um, and like Jack said, so, um, quite a few new faces. We're glad that you decided to join us this morning. We we um, hope and we pray that God will speak to you. Um, and that you will experience God's love and God's, um, just his, his presence here today, um, it, it changes lives. So I'm glad that you are here. Um, I'm going to read for us, and we're going to start in Philippians 2. Um, it says the following, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, so he's saying, listen, if, if, they, if, if you are excited at all about the fact that we are united with Christ, that we are one with Him, If there's anything that makes you feel, man, I'm so glad that that is the case. I am in Christ. You see, he continues on. He says, um, if any comfort from his love. Oh, I've got God's love. If any common sharing in the spirit. uh, We all have the spirit of God in us now because we've accepted him. If any um, tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love. Being one in spirit, and of one mind. So we will make his joy complete when we are like-minded, um, having the same love, uh, being one in spirit and in mind. Do nothing. This is part that I want to focus on. Do nothing out of selfish ambition, or vain conceit. Rather in humility. Value others above yourself. Not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of others. Garnet, could you turn this down a little bit? It's, it's at the brink of feeding. Thank you. I'll just speak louder. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for your goodness. I thank you for your word. I thank you that you want to speak to us this morning. Um, and that I pray that your message will be loud and clear. And then when we leave here, we're not leaving kind of, I wonder what that was all about. But that, that we'll know uh, what you are saying. Um, no confusion. We want clarity, Lord. Um, so that we can grow in who you are and, and what you've planned for us. We pray this blessing in the wonderful name of Jesus Christ, the Lord and Savior. Amen. Okay, we are not the center of the universe. Yes. The world does not revolve around us. That is a revolutionary thought. <laughs> for some of us are what? Yeah. Back in the 15th century, there was an astronomer by the name of Nicholas... Do you know who it is? Copernicus. Nicholas Copernicus. So so, uh, who was he? He was a guy who was observing the universe, and he made a statement that revolutionized the whole world. See, up to this point, everyone thought that the earth was the center of the universe, and everything in the universe is resolving or revolving around the earth. So he said this. He said, if a man is to know the truth, he must change his thinking. Despite what we have said for years, our earth is not the center of the cosmos. But we are just one celestial body among many. The sun does not move around us. We move around the sun. What you got to know is, When he made this statement, he wasn't a popular guy at all. He wasn't liked. He was almost kicked out of society. They thought that he is so wrong that that cannot be right. We are the center of the world. It's revolutionary. And it's been labeled the Copernican Revolution. Now in the 15th century, That that was in the 15th century. In the 20th century, there was a, a Swiss psychologist by the name of Jean Piguet. And he studied children, kids, not stars. And he said, each child must have an experience in his or her own life, which would be a Copernicum revolution. He said, they must learn that they are not the center of their world. We know what it's like, especially when you have little ones, 18 and younger <laughs> nowadays, right? Because it's really that, 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 that age group used to be like up to like maybe 10, 12, but it's really moved up quite a bit in age um, where they think that walls should move out of the way before they run into them. Um, they think that the floor should become soft, when they fall on it, why did that hurt? Why did you not change that? What do we do as parents now? We quickly run and put a pillow underneath them or a cushion or, you know, try and help them. We over I think. They think everyone should give their toys or their money, 18-year-olds, to them which they haven't earned and which is not theirs. Cars should never drive on their side of the road where they are playing. It's this this thinking that, that life is about me, but sooner or later, life doesn't cooperate with those children, and they have a revolution, a Copernican revolution. It's like, duh, the world doesn't resolve around me. I'm only one of many. I think we all need a revolution. I do think so. We all need this Copernicum revolution. We are not the center of the universe. Christians and believers, you are not the center of the universe. We have to have that understanding also. It's not just about you. And I think the sooner we get that, the sooner we would be able to walk in the plans and the purposes that God has for us as children of God. Jesus is actually the only one that can say the the world revolves around Him. Because He said everything in the world was created by the Word, and Jesus is the Word. So He's the only one that can say, well, the world really does revolve around me. Yet Jesus gave Himself completely. All of himself. Everything was given. He didn't hold anything back. There wasn't like a portion, you know what, I'm going to keep this little side, this is on the side. He gave everything he had for you and me. And he made the world, his world, all about us, every individual. It's been said that we live in the age of self, and I don't really have to explain much about it because it's, it's like self-awareness, self-realization, self-determination, self-esteem, self-help, self-identity, self-identified. Um, there's a magazine called Self. It's all about myself, my individual opinions. Oh, we love those, as opposed to others. And not only is it the age of self, it's also the age of selfie. (laughs) Yeah, the the picture I take of myself, the self-portrait of me. We take them in a certain place to prove I was in that place with a certain person to prove I was with that person. One description, I like this. Uh, It says, it is an instant visual communication of where we are, what we are doing, who we think we are, who we want you to think we are, and who we think is watching. That's a selfie. Selfies are sometimes taken in front of mirrors. Sometimes they are taken with selfie sticks. There's a website called selfie.com that will help you to take better selfies. Some of you are writing that down. Yeah. You want to take a wild guess at how many selfies are taken every day? Oh, yeah. Ninety-three million selfies a day. That was to 2021. Ninety-three million selfies a day. That's a lot. Do you know what a millennial a millennial is? Somebody is between the age of 25 and 40. So Those old people. Basically, I mean, they used to be like <laughs> 10 years ago. Millennial was like, yeah, it's just the youngsters. Now they're old. The average millennial, listen to this, will take 25,700 selfies in a lifetime. That is a lot of selfies. A further stat, between females between the age of 16 and 25, listen to this, spend five hours a week with Selfies. Five hours a week. I don't know if you've ever, like at Jubilee, one time um, we went to a hockey game watching Anjo, and, and I'm busy watching the game, and every like 30 seconds, is, and then she goes on, but she doesn't look at what she's taking, she just takes a picture of herself, and I'm asked Anjo afterwards, like how many selfies can one person take of themselves? And he said, no, it's not selfies, it's the, that's Snapchat. So they just kind of snap where they are at, right? And I'm, I'm like, wow. Why would you do that? Makes no sense. <laughs> Sorry, jubes. Um, here's the thing. Not only are selfies uh, n- narcissistic. How do you say that? Thank you. Not only is it that, but they're actually dangerous. Selfies are dangerous. In 2015, this is interesting, there were more deaths by selfies than there were by shark attacks. True story. 330 people reported in 2015. More people died in 2015 taking selfies than people died who were attacked by sharks. Which makes you think. We should probably start like a program (laughs) called Selfie Week, followed by Shark Week. (laughs) It would be a good show. Garnet, get on that. Think, Think about this. Oh, how good would it be if we took selfies for the right reasons? How good would it be if we keep taking pictures of ourselves to evaluate the fruit of the Spirit in our lives? Imagine that we get to a place where we can say, in our lifetime, I have taken 25,700 images of myself to evaluate. What fruit I am bearing and wearing and showing people in this world. That evaluation of self to say, listen, this is is who I am. and, And then looking at it and being objective and thinking, man, there's areas in my life which I have to bring change in. Am I producing God's nature, God's love, God's acceptance, His grace? Am I showing His kindness and His gentleness and His goodness God says in James, one of my favorite books in the Bible, he says, we are to look into the mirror. Now, they did not have selfies. If James were writing this today, he would say, we are to take selfies. Not shellfish. Selfies. See, God determined the way for us and and. When when God said, "Listen, I want you to resemble me, and I want you to to um, live a life that looks like me," He determined how people will determine if we are Christ-like, and and He made the statement saying that you will bear fruit. There will be fruit in your life. Fruit. It's visible. It's not invisible. John fifteen. We looked at that last week. I have to say, if if I can if I can preach. Um, if they say to me, listen, you've got one more message to preach um, in your life, and then you're done, what, what would you preach? I would preach John 15. It, for me, it's one of the most powerful messages in the Bible. Because it shows me that, that God is so interested in my life, not just to save me, but He's interested about growing me. It's interesting. It's not just you are saved and now you're done. No, it's like you are saved and now everything just starts. Now your life starts. I've got plans for you. I've got a purpose for you. I've got a direction that you want to go. And I'm going to grow you if you remain in me. I I love, I love what that chapter says. Let's read it. Remember, it's very important to understand that the fruit of a tree represents the nature of the tree. The fruit is, is what I am planted in. It will show forth um, in my life. So he starts in John 15, verse 1. He says, I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. Verse 13. Greater love has no one than this. That they lay down one's life for his friends. Verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you, that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should remain. And whatever you ask the Father in my name, He may give you. Man, this chapter for me, it speaks about a Father that not only cares about salvation and you choosing Him, but one that cares about your life and every detail of it. He's interested not just in you being planted in him, but he wants you to produce something, and he cares about what you're going to produce. It shows me Jesus' love in an exceptional way because he laid down his life for every single one of us. So God wants us to bear much fruit. God also wants us to bear lasting fruit. It's not fruit that's just there for a moment. It's going to last But it starts off by becoming a branch in the vine. I have to be in the vine in order to correct the right fruit, to bear the right fruit. Before you are in the vine, and this is what we don't understand. Before you are in Jesus, any fruit that you bore before cannot resemble his nature. Cannot be his fruit. Might look like him. Might appear to look like him, but it's not him because it's not anchored in him. So this is how we all start. When you become a believer in Christ, when you say, Jesus, I accept you as my Lord and Savior, every single one of us starts as a branch. We are just the branch. And where do the branches lie? They were lying in the dirt and in the ground and in the dust. And remember, we said the dirt, the ground, and the dust in the Bible speaks of unrighteousness. You are lying in unrighteousness. Now, when we say yes to Jesus, we are in the vine. And now it says what will happen is he will take us away. Take away. That's how it starts. What I will do for the no fruit branches, I will take it away. Now, unfortunately, um, it was translated that way. Um, But I think if we understand accurately what Jesus is trying to communicate, 99% of theologians agree on this, that it would have been better translated and understood if we just wrote the word lift up instead of take away. Okay, So, but I want us to understand. So they did translate it take away. Why? Why did he translate take away? Every branch that does not bear fruit, he will take away. Take away from what? From the dirt. He will pick it up he will lift it up out of the dirt. Every branch that does not bear fruit, he will lift up out of the dirt. So when you are new, he's saying, when you are new in me, I will lift you out of the identity of you are simply a sinner, worth nothing. Thinking you can do things in your own abilities and your own skills. I will lift you up by giving you a new identity in Christ. You are now a child of God. Your identity is new. You are no longer a dirt dweller. You have become undesirable and undevourable for the enemy because you are in me. Then he speaks about you will start to bear fruit. And as we bear fruit, some pruning needs to happen. Pruning. The fruit needs to be cleaned. Two things pruning means to clean, it means washed, it also means cutting. Two things that's going to happen. We are going to be washed. How are we washed? We are washed by the Word. Why are we washed by the Word? Because the Word means, washed by the Word means that our thoughts and our thinking about ourselves and other people, He is going to give us new thoughts and thinking about others and about ourselves. We are washed by the Word. He disciplines us how? By the Word. Now, discipline for some people in the church is a scary thought, and some people are very excited about it. But I want you to understand, He does not punish or condemn. He washes us. And as we remain in Him and He remains in us, it says, as we remain in Him and He remains in us, we will bear much fruit. Now, here's the other part of the pruning things. It's washing and it's cutting. It's cutting. Now, we said last week, part of the cutting is that, that God's gonna come and He's gonna cut off some sucker shoots. Love that word, sucker shoots. He's gonna cut the sucker shoots off. What do sucker shoots do? They do not have the ability to produce fruit, they simply drain life from you. So, he, there are things in your life that He's gonna come and say, Listen, you need to cut that off. You, you need to remove that from your life. And sometimes it hurts. And sometimes it's not even him directly through somebody. It doesn't say he brings people and cuts off sucker shoots. No, it's by the word again. See, when God brings a revelation to you about there's something in my life that I have to change, this change that I have to bring, it is the word that sustains the change. If it's a person bringing, it means the person have to sustain the change. But when his word brings, it means that he's busy doing something in you in a specific area regarding your thinking, your thoughts, and where you are, where he wants you to bring change. And then it starts permeating. It's like you start soaking it and you start thinking about it. And then what happens? It becomes your decision to make that change because his spirit is leading you to bring, bring that change. Now, the reality is some of those things are painful. Some of It hurts. Some relationships that you are currently in or might be thinking of going into or currently thinking about, should I be in this, is a sucker shoot relationship. It is draining life from you, and it's not causing you to bear fruit. So what, we need, what do we need to do? We need to cut those. We need to cut those. And it's hard, and this is what we do with pain, um, and something that's difficult when correction comes. I remember, how many South Africans are here today? Let me just see. Okay, 60. Okay, so, okay, uh, let me ask this question. How many of you were raised in school where there was punishment by the whip? By the whip or by a rod or correction by. Two hands, I see two hands, yes, by a paddle, yeah. Okay, so in South Africa, we were in the British colony, so we had the British school system where punishment happened if you were... um A boy and you uh, misbehaved in school, disrespected the teacher, how's that for a thought um, of not doing, um, didn't do your homework, um, you know, was mean to somebody. Then you would go to the principal's office and then you would sit down, he would have the conversation with you about your behavior, then he would open up the little cabinet and then you can choose. Which rod do you want? The thin one or the thick one? Right? And it goes in thickness. And most of us were very dumb because we thought the thin one would hurt less. It definitely does not. The other thing which we also thought was the further I can be from him, the less painful it's going to be. Again, complete dumb thinking. Because where's the most speed? At the end. I figured this out in grade 11. So what I should do is, wherever he's lining up, get as close to him as you possibly can. Because right here, it doesn't hurt. Over there, it stings like crazy. You go after it, and you pull your pants down, and all the guys look in the mirror to see who's got what lines, what colors are they, how much do they swell up. And then you put Vaseline on it to make it look worse. It was awesome. Yeah, you know, good old days. But here's the principle regarding discipline, right? What do we do with discipline? Most of us, when there's discipline by the word, like you, you're hearing a word right now, what most of us want to do is we want to get as far away from that word that might require cutting or pruning or change or I have to bring an adjustment to our life. So we try to remove ourselves from it. Where if we stay as close to Jesus, because remember, how does discipline come by the word? When we stay as close to the word as we possibly can, then yes, there's going to be some pain and some some difficulty in the decision that you are making. But man, it's the best place to be is as close to God as you possibly can during those times. Because not only does he bring the discipline by the word, but he also brings the comfort and he brings the peace and the rest. So get close to it. Don't run away from it. Don't run away from it. There are things that you need to cut in your own life and you realize it. The worst thing to do is to run away from God with it. Because it says the Holy Spirit will do what? Hunt you down. <laughs> I love Psalms 23, right? How many of you know Psalms 23? Can okay, somebody say it. I'm asking that you guys will say it because I forgot how it starts. No, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not. He leads me in? Green pastures. He? Restores my soul. What then? Lays me down for rest and then? Leads me on paths of righteousness. For his sake. And then it says, let's go to the last part. Surely? Goodness and? Mercy will? Follow me. Correct translation of the Hebrew word is not follow. Correct translation there is? will hunt me down. Goodness and mercy is the hound of heaven. It's the Holy Spirit. Goodness and mercy hunts me down. Now, goodness and mercy means, listen, God's got great plans for me and His mercy fall over me. So when there is discipline and something to happen and I keep running away from God, you know who's hunting you down? Goodness and mercy. Because He doesn't want you to live where you are right now. He's hunting you down. You cannot go, no way you can go where you can hide from him. So, so, so let's get back to self-evaluation. Selfie. There's nothing wrong with self-evaluation. There's nothing wrong with being somebody who's focused on self if it is for the purpose of growth in the fruit of the Spirit. It's fantastic when we do it for that. I, I am, and I have, Never been totally satisfied with my present experience with God. I've I've never been totally satisfied. I love what God has done in my life. I love what He's doing in my life. I accept it. I'm excited about it. And I know that God's taken me a long way from where I was. But also know that I've got a long way to go. And I keep evaluating, keep evaluating every single day. God, what do you want to do in me today? That conduct, was that right? Was that inappropriate? Do I need to say sorry? Do I need to move forward? Did I show love? Was I kind? Was I gentle? So I know that in my own life, I need more experience in the work and in the power of the Holy Spirit in my life. I need more of it, not less. We don't get to a place where we go, okay, full capacity, fully charged. You charge up. You don't need anything else. We never get there in God. We we should only get hungrier and hungrier. The fruit of the Spirit is also where the visible evidence is that we are hungry for God. Now, what impacts an uh, uh, unbeliever, I believe, more than anything else, is someone who's eyeball to eyeball with them every single day. And when they see them and when they hear them, they basically hear God speaking to them. That's really what's going to make a difference in those people that you want to influence. That's what's going to influence them. Now, the Holy Spirit um, works. And this is also for us as believers who are in leadership, who are passionate about the Word, passionate about people. You have to understand that it is a process. The work of the fruit of the Spirit is a process that happens in our lives. It's not an instant thing. The works of the Holy Spirit and sometimes the event is something that happens and it's, there's an event and there's a filling and there's miraculous things that happens and, and those things, we love them. I encourage you to, to desire being filled with the Holy Spirit, but the process of growing the fruit, it's not instant. It's continuous. Here's a working definition for the fruit of the Holy Spirit. The fruit of the Holy Spirit is the character of Jesus Christ himself. It's the character of Christ Produced by the Spirit of Christ in the life of the followers of Christ. Okay, so now let's look at what the fruit, what fruit we should produce. Because I do think there's some incorrect thinking regarding, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever does not bear fruit, the Father takes away. But he who bears fruit, the Father prunes, so he will bear more fruit. So we're going to bear more fruit. What is that more fruit supposed to look like? First of all, For Christ, listen to me, the goal is no longer to see if you have sin in your life. Now, please hear me, because sin has been dealt with. And I I so hope you understand this. For some of you, the the statement hasn't hit home yet. The the vine and the vine dresser, the, the one who walks through the vineyard, He does not walk through the vineyard of your life to see where you still have sin. The fruit is not sinlessness, if that's a word. The fruit is not absence of sin. Because for us, we think, oh, I'm bearing great fruit because I didn't make any mistakes this week. We think the fruit that the vine dresser is, is producing is, okay, I don't, I don't think, uh, my thoughts are perfect, my behavior is perfect, I'm doing everything in the Bible. We're thinking that is the fruit that the vine dresser is talking about. He's sin-focused. He comes and he plucks, oh, look at that thing here, throw that thing away. That is not what the vine dresser, the one in the vineyard is doing. See, we think God is walking through the vine looking for any mistake that he might find, and then he's going to address that. There's something wrong right there. It's wrong thinking. Why? Because the Bible says what? It starts off by saying, I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. I am a branch that is now in the true vine, which means this is a chapter written to believers. As a believer what do I believe? I believe that Jesus Christ paid for all my sins on the cross. And my confession about him is thank you Jesus that you've paid for all my mistakes, all my errors, all my sins, shortcomings, past, present and future. All of it's paid for. God says your sins are removed from me as what? As far as from the east is, as far as the east is from the west. That means in your vineyard, where is your sin? Doesn't look at it. It's it's like a farmer that plans ahead. He's going to have a harvest. So he sprays the field. He puts everything that he needs in the soil to produce good fruit. He he sprays for bugs. He sprays for uh, viruses and pestilence and anything else. So when the harvest comes up, you know what's the last thing he's concerned about? The things that he's already sprayed for. Doesn't worry about that. Why? Because I did the preparation. I know my garden's ready. Listen, Jesus already did the preparation for your life. Your sin's been dealt with. So what fruit should I produce? What should my thinking be in regards to fruit? God is not concerned about your sin. And again, for some of you, it's like a smack in the face. You're welcome. You know Why? because he's already dealt with it. We are sin-focused. We are a people that are so obsessed with our own sins and other sins, and what happens is, we become the hands and the feet of the enemy. Instead of being like Jesus, we're supposed to lift people up so that they can bear more fruit. Okay, so... The selfie evaluation that most people make or has made in the past is based, uh, based on this passage is, is based on sin. Am I doing well? How's my sin going? Try to confess more sin. God, I want to remember everything that I did wrong. That's not the fruit he's talking about. We also have to understand the difference between fruits and gifts. Gifts are given, and they are different gifts to different people. It's selective basis. Fruits are developed. The fruit of the Spirit, God says, I want you to have peace, and I want you to have my peace, and I want you to have joy, and I want you to have my joy. And all the gifts, they are distributed, but the fruit, all given. God does not say the fruit, okay, you're going to have peace, and you're going to have joy. You're going to have patience, but you're not going to have peace and joy, so good luck with that patience. No, it's all given. Now, I want to underline this in your heads. Make it underline. The spiritual gifts is also not necessarily an indication of the depth and the maturity of a believer. The gifts are not. The fruit is. Galatians 5, let's go there. 519. Now, the works, plural, of the flesh are evident. And then it tells us what the works are. I know some of you would really love me to focus on the works. I'm not going to. Verse 22, but the fruit of the spirit. Listen, the fruit of the spirit singular. Not plural. Is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. Some of you are going, but you uh, you just said singular and then you mentioned nine things. There's one fruit of the spirit. One fruit. Remember, we said in the beginning, the fruit can only produce what the nature of the tree is. Jesus is love. So we have the main fruit, which is love, and then we have eight other things that are simply manifestations of the love. It's singular, one fruit. With eight different manifestations. Love demonstrates by having joy, by having peace, long-suffering, kindness, gentleness. So so the fruit is love. Okay, first of all, let's quickly go through them. Uh, Reflection of love. The first fruit is joy, which is much different than happiness, according to Scripture. The Scripture speaks about joy as something that is independent of outside situations or circumstances. Joy does not depend on what's happening outside of these doors, outside of this Uh, In your finances, in your health, in your home, in your friendships. Joy is not dependent on that. Whereas happiness is very temporary. And it's an outward expression of pleasure. And it's totally dependent upon surroundings. I am happy because of the happenings. When the happenings are not on my side, I cease to be happy. For instance... I have a fantasy football league that I'm in. It's a church league that we play in. There's some guys in the church, we're all in it together. Now, hypothetically speaking, let's say at one point, there's a one-point difference between me and the guy I am matched against. And I'm happy because my team is about to score. There's still time left. I've got more than one player on the field. Um, He doesn't really have anybody. I am happy. I'm feeling good. And then the next play, the quarterback throws the ball, let's say, to my tight end. And let's say it's Kittle. And he catches it. And they score a touchdown. And I'm so happy. Yeah, right? Because I just actually, I just beat one of the greatest fantasy football players ever to play the game. and Only to hear afterwards a flag is thrown. Touchdown doesn't count. And they don't get the opportunity to score again. Now my happiness turns into sobbing and crying my eyeballs out. Because the other person never stops talking about it. <laughs> Even in a message on Sunday mornings, he just included it. <laughs> happiness, listen, happiness is, is an outward expression of something that happens. Joy, unchangeable. When you lie at, at, at night at home and, and you go to bed, the joy of the Lord should cause you to fall asleep. Not the panics of the world. The joy of the Lord is supposed to see, oh, thank you, God. I trust you in every situation. Whatever is going on in my mind, I give it to you. You are my joy. That doesn't change. Peace. Peace is the next one. He says, my peace I give you. Not like the world gives. Paul calls it it peace that passes all understanding. Um, I uh, used this example a while back. There was a painting contest where they they had to paint a picture of what peace looks like. And the runner-up of this contest painted a beautiful picture. It was like the most tranquil Beautiful morning, and it was like a you know, you can see the grass almost as the wind just kind of blows. over and there's, and there's a butterfly right somewhere, and there's like you know, a little breeze in the air. It's not too hot, it's not too cold, it's just beautiful. And it's, it's I don't want to be there personally, I like a little bit more action. But this guy painted his, it's beautiful, it's fantastic. And this guy came second, and everybody that looked at this picture said, So, who's the guy that came first? And it was like a black picture. And there were clouds, and there were lightning, and you can see there was thunder, and it's, it's of an ocean. There's storms, and you can see the waves crashing on the rocks. And in the little corner on the rock, there was a bird asleep. He said, that is the picture of godly peace. When everything around us is crashing and slashing and smoke and whatever might be going on, and you can go to bed, why? Because I know I've got a God that loves me so much. Whatever I'm going through right now, he's got it in his hand. It will not overtake my joy or my peace. The next one, um, long-suffering, which Moody describes as, this is the quality of love untiring, love that never gives up. Next on the list is kindness, which is a word that is often used of God dealing with us. But here it is used of us dealing with others. Now, I want to say again, take that selfie picture right now as we're busy talking. and, And look at your joy. Look at your peace. Look at your kindness. Look at your long suffering. Next is goodness, which means practical acts of love. Doing something to bless somebody else, not because they deserved it, but simply because you want to Do it. You love them. You want to bless them. Next, you've got faithfulness, which means reliability. It happens to be one of the qualities that God most often looks for and most often rewards. Jesus said, well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in small things. I'm making you ruler over many. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Reliability. Next is gentleness or meekness. Now, it's an interesting word. There is no equivalent to the word in English, just one word, um, that describes really what the Greek word is saying there. It means strength under control. Most beautiful picture I have is Jesus telling us to be gentle or meek. Is this picture that you have of a stallion, um, a wild stallion, like the leader of the horseback. Uh, if they come in packs, Um, group, community. Um, So the head horse, right? Super strong, beautiful stallion, black stallion. And, And he's so powerful that you really can't control him. He bucks you off when you get on him. But, and what God is saying to us, meekness and gentleness is this image where we are to be so strong. We've been created that way. In Christ, we are strong. You are powerful. You have the ability to throw anything and everyone off but you have decided to submit yourself to God's ways. Even though you have the ability to go your own way, it's a stallion that says, I will allow you to take the reins of my life and direct me. That is meekness and gentleness. It's having the ability to control and dominate and manipulate people into a direction, but instead you're saying, God, you know what? I'm gonna continue just to be kind and gentle with them, Because you are the one that's doing the work. I trust you. I'm not going to force anything on them. Self-control. Self-control is a word that describes the person who is able to keep legitimate body needs and pleasures under control in moderation. Let me finish with this. The love chapter in 1 Corinthians 13 No, it says love is, love is, love is. It gives us all these examples of what love is, and it's beautiful. You should go and read it. But what we really have to do is we actually have to replace the word love with Jesus. Because Jesus is love. The best way to understand love is Jesus. So if we read that, we will read that Jesus suffers long and is kind. Jesus does not envy. Jesus doesn't parade himself. He's not puffed up. He does not behave rudely. Does not seek his own. Is not provoked. Thinks no evil. Does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Bears all things, believes all things, Hopes all things, endures all things. Jesus never fails. That is the fruit that we are to bear. Now, we will start talking about the gifts of the Spirit. But I honestly believe that unless we are focused on producing the fruit of the Spirit, there comes abuse in the gifts. That's why we have to have this foundation that Jesus is our example. The reason why I want to minister in a gift, love. Jesus, love, 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 love. Not works, fireworks, lightning, thunderbolts, whatever order you want to put it in. Love. Worship team, you can come up quickly. I should have called you already. I used this, this example this morning um, in our pre-prayer, and I want to use it again because I just feel it's so relevant. You get two types of tea drinkers. You get the dippers. Right? They, they, they sit, they're talking with you, and they just keep dipping that thing. <laughs> it goes up and down. The dippers. And then you get the soakers. They take the bag, they throw it in, and they put the lid on and let it go. Um, many times the dippers do it because they think they're going to get the flavor out quicker, right? Or they want to make, they like a little bit of a rush. Let's get this tea in there already, right? Um, and, and what happens is, is that it really does not do the work that it's supposed to do because the tea leaves respond to heat and it has to remain in it. So taking it in and out does not bring the results that you're looking for. The soaker is the one that puts it in there and it allows the tea bag to actually... Formulate the flavors that it's supposed to flavor. We have the same in church. We have the dippers and we have the soakers. The dippers are people that kind of just dip in on Sundays. You know, dip in on Sunday and out. Dip in and out, in and out. I'm here every now and again, right? I'm dipping in and out. The soakers are the people that understand unless I am soaked, completely surrendered to God in every area of my life, The fruit that I'm bearing will not resemble Him accurately. We should not be a dipper people. We should be a soaking people, which means as simple as whatever thoughts you're going through, whatever situations you are going through, you are constantly bringing it to Him. Doesn't matter how disastrous your life is looking right now. I want you to bring that thing that is at the worst place that you can think it can possibly be at. I want you to bring that thing to Jesus and say, I'm gonna soak this thing in your presence because I want it to to produce the fruit that you wanna produce in this. You cannot produce the fruit that he wants if you keep taking it out of his presence. Back to you again, back to the past, back to what they did in the past, what they said, how they've been, I don't care how long it's been. I believe that every single situation can be restored, no matter what it is, if you choose to come and soak it at Jesus' feet. Let's worship together. Thank you so much for joining us on the Life Church audio podcast. If this message spoke to you, go ahead and share it with your friends and family, and let's get the Word of God into the lives of more people out there. For more information about us, go to thisislifechurch.com and remember that we can make a difference by loving people.